Hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good to see you this morning as we launch into this series, Everybody Always, uh, and talking about today, we'll be talking about getting into this and leading into this series. I want to share with you uh, about a mountain biking experience I had. Any mountain bikers here? Any bikers? Yeah, good. I'm glad there's a few. So I was in a race. I was in a triathlon, and in the middle of the triathlon, there's a mountain bike uh, section of this 56-mile mountain bike ride in the middle of this triathlon. And I was riding my bike, and I was out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. And so it's like uh, there's nobody around. It's like going out here in the mountains. You go to the mountains here, and there's, you go on a trail here, and there's like everybody else from Seattle with you. So it's kind of hard to imagine being on a trail where there's nobody. But I was actually on one of those trails, and I was coming out of the woods. I was coming from a dirt path, hard-packed trail, coming out onto a gravel fire road in the mountains. And, I was, and it was a turn. And so I was going to make the turn, and I thought to myself, you know, there's gravel I'm on a bike, it's time to slow down. So I began to slow down, brake as I'm coming out of the woods, coming onto the gravel, and I continue to slow down so that I can make the turn without the bike slipping out from under me. So as I'm making the turn, I, real, I see off in the corner of my eye, there's a bike with nobody on it laying in the hillside. 
And I'm thinking, oh, and so I slow down some more, and I'm looking around to see who goes with the bike. Somebody should be on the bike. And sure enough, I kept slowing down, and I looked, and I looked further around behind me, and there was a guy laying in a ditch, just like this story. And I, I, I didn't know if he was conscious or not conscious, and I, now, I'm in the middle of a race, and they're calculating my time when I get to the end of the race, right? And, they're, and, I, and I'm, I'm competing against this guy, so I'm like, there's one person I'm going to beat in this race already, <laughs> right? So I'm thinking about how am I going to finish, how am I going to cross the line? And I'm slowing down. I'm like, so there's this kind of moment in you that if you're competitive, anybody here competitive? Not just mountain bike, right? Do you keep going or do you stop? So because I'm a pastor, I stopped. So I stop my bike, I get off my bike, I go over to this guy, and he's in pain. I mean, he's grabbing his side, he's not doing well, I, you know, are you okay? No, I don't think I'm okay, I don't think I can move, I don't think I can get up. Pain in my side, I'm thinking internal injuries, broken ribs, I don't know what's going on, but he's obviously in need of help. Nobody's coming by. We're the only two guys out here in the middle of this mountain section of the mountains, and so I'm, but I know that I'm within two miles of an aid station. So I say to the guy, look, I'm going to leave you. And I'm going to go report, because we didn't have walkie-talkies or cell phones on us or anything. It was back in the olden days, sorry. And where I, so I run, and I say, I'm going to leave. I'm coming back, but I'm coming back. So just hold tight. So I go back. I pedal as fast as I can. I race down. Fortunately, it was downhill. I ra- went downhill, went to the aid station, reported it in. They got on their walkie-talkies, called in the medical team. And then I rode back up the hill to where the guy was, and I stayed there with him. And he said, oh, no, go on, you're in the middle of the race, you're in the middle of the race. I was like, no, I'm not going to leave you until the medical team gets here. So we got to chatting, and I said, I actually said to him in the middle of this, I said, could I pray for you? And he just kind of was surprised, like, what? What are you talking about? Like, why would you do that? Like, you know, and I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he's like, oh, okay, this makes sense now. Like, he would do this. <laughs> so so uh, I prayed for him and just prayed that God would, you know, take care of him and heal him and everything. And I could tell he was really touched by just somebody stopping and praying for him and taking and caring about him when nobody else was around. And finally, the medical team showed up and they came over. I said, they got you. They're going to do better than I can do for you. I get back on my bike and I keep racing. Now, this is a long race. So hours later, I get to the finish line and I go to the race director and I say to the race director, hey, what happened to the guy that wiped, did you get, you know, did you hear about the guy? Is he okay? What's going on? And he's like, oh, are you the guy that stopped and helped him? I said, yeah, we stopped. And he says, well, we'll deduct any time off of your total time for the time you spent with him. How much time did you spend with him? And I'm like, it really doesn't matter because <laughs> I'm not going to make the podium on this. You know, I like, I, you know, I'm like in the middle of the pack on this one. I'm like, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And he's like, well, you know, we have this rule. It's called the Good Samaritan Rule. When you're in the middle of a wilderness, when you're, uh, because we're a mountain biking community, off-road community, you need to help your fellow competitors, and we will deduct time from your total time whenever you stop and help somebody else. So we want people to help each other in the middle of a race. You don't see that in the Boston Marathon a lot of times or see some of those other places, but that's the kind of community I wanted to be a part of. That's why I kept doing off-road triathlons because the community had things like that. But here's the thing. I think that one of the reasons that we don't stop is we're in a hurry. We think we're in a race. We think we got to make it to the finish line. 
We're so busy all the time, hurrying from here to there, that we don't stop, right? There's that part of us, inside of us, that is like, kind of like, oh, I got so much to do. I've got so much on my schedule. I've got so much on my counter. How can I possibly take time to help this person I see that's in need? I just don't have the time, and I'm in a rush. And one day, we're going to face the race director of our life. And is the race director going to say, what's the race director going to be looking for? Is the race director going to be concerned with what time we crossed the finish line? Or is the race director going to be concerned with how we ran the race and how we loved people around us? See, I think one of the things that prevents us from being good Samaritans ourselves is the race of life, the game of life that we're always playing and rushing around to that prevents us from loving the people around us. And there are so many people around us right now that are in need of God's love and need of your love, in need of our love, right? So we'll talk about that. We're talking today about loving the people around us, loving the people where you're at. And so today's text actually is about questions of love, really. I mean, it's all about questioning love, not just neighbors, but what does it look like to love? Do you remember when you were a kid? I don't know if you did this. I remember when I was a kid, you'd grab a flower, you know, and had petals on it, and, I would, and you would pick a petal off, say, I would say, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, you know, right? Have you ever done, anybody else done that, right? Or done something like that, right? I think these are the same kind of questions of love. Does God love me or not? Does God love this other person or not? Am I loved? Do I love this other person or not? These are the questions of love that are raised in this text. It starts out with the, the, the lawyer, the religious person, the lawyer asking the question, uh, actually a question about eternal life, and then he answers correctly. He's got, the, he's got the right theology, right? He's got the right theory. He's got the right intention. He's got all those things going for him. He answers correctly. But he wanted to know a little bit more. He wanted to dig a little deeper. And so he asked this first question, who is my neighbor? Because he's trying to figure out, and this is what I, my interpretation of the text is, who am I supposed to love here? Am I really supposed to love everybody or can I just put some, am I just supposed to love some people? And particularly the people that are easy to love, the people like me. Maybe that's part of the question he's asking. Maybe he wants a list from Jesus about who the people are that he can define and identify as his neighbor so he can spend time loving them and make, like, make sure that he's doing it right. I think part of the question he's asking is, do I have the right people in the right category? You know, your, your mind has this. Your brain, my brain, your brain, naturally wants to categorize people and things. Uh, uh, Cal Berkeley just uh, did a study a few, we, uh, a few years ago about, and they mapped the human brain and where we store information, and they made this map of the human brain and where we store and categorize obser observations and people and things in our world, and we have to do this. In fact, you need to do this to survive. So it's a part of, this is a natural thing that we do. Like, if you, you need to know the difference between a mountain lion and a bowl of ice cream, Right? right? That's important. You run, because your brain knows, run away from the mountain lion. Actually, stand your ground if you're faced with a mountain lion and slowly back away, but get away. Basically, you're going to want to get away from a mountain lion, right? 
you want to run to the ice cream store, right? You want to get as, to there as fast as you can, right? Your brain knows this, right? Your brain wants to go to ice cream, wants to get away from the mountain lion. That's pretty important to survival in my book, right? Can I get a witness from the ice cream lovers? In the, like, come on, right? That's important. But our brain naturally does this. Now, here's the thing. We have a tendency to do the same thing with people. What are some of the categories that we put people into? If you were to look at your brain's map of people, <laughs> what are some categories that we put people into? I'm going to let you guys answer this morning. I've got plenty of answers, but you have answers too. What do you think? What are some categories? What was that? Oh, family, right. So family's a category. What else? Friends, coworkers, acquaintances, strangers. What's that? Male and female, gender. What else? Race, right. What else? Enemies, friends, enemies. What's that? Social class, economic classes. What else? What? Weird. Is that what you said? Weird. Okay. We do. We probably identify some people in our world, and other people probably say we're weird. All right. You know, some people think I'm weird. So, all right. What else? Athletes, nerds, geeks, whatever. Right. What? What else did I hear? What's that? Criminal. Right. Appearance. Age. Wow. You guys are had a lot more than I ever came up with. This is great. So we can just keep going with that. Think about that. Now, and then I want you to think about, so think about those categories, and then think about all the assumptions that go along with those categories. Think about it. Take weird, right? What assumptions are going along with that category, right? And am I going to stop and help a weird person, right? Because based on those assumptions, right? Or based on my experience, well, what I think is weird, right? So think about that. Those are the categories, right? Those are those past experiences. Maybe the lawyer is trying to figure this out, right? Because he wants to be confident that he's got the right people in the right category of neighbor. He wants to make sure that he's got it correct. Bob Goff in his book, if you started reading, here's a quote from his book. He says, here's the problem. When we make ourselves the hall monitor of other people's behavior, we risk having approval become more important than Jesus' love. And when we start letting those categories dictate who we love, then we make those categories and those categories of what we approve or not approve more important than loving people. I think that's actually part of what the lawyer is trying to figure out when Jesus is going to flip the script on him. But notice that the motivation for the lawyer is this. Why, what's the reason that he wants to answer this question. It says in the text that he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. I think there's a, another question a little bit deeper than that for him, possibly. And the question that I think he probably is wrestling with is this question, what do I need to do for God to love me? <laughs> if I'm supposed to love God and love my neighbor, if I'm supposed to do that then how can I know that I am loved by God? What do I need to do to ensure that and be confident that God loves me? Right? That's what he's wrestling with. Another question about love. 
he's questioning maybe God's love for him. Do you ever do that? Do you ever question that? The thing that the lawyer doesn't know yet and is about to happen in the future is that the truth is that God does love him. God already loved him in making him and creating him. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made. We are loved by God. The, the idea that you and I exist and are on the planet actually is an example of God's love for us, that we have been given the gift of life. So if we exist, we already know that God loves us. The other thing is that Jesus was sent into the world as an ambassador for God to share God's love with us, to tell us that God cares for us, so we have Christ and then he was willing to sacrifice his life and sacrificially love us like the Samaritan. And so we know of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. That's something the lawyer doesn't know yet, but he's about, hopefully does find out later. This idea that God has already decided to love us. Did you know that? God's already chosen to love you and love me. Did you know that? Because And you can't change it. <laughs> Here's the thing. Whether you believe it or not, whether you believe that God loves you or not, doesn't change the idea and the, the choice that God has already made to love you, whether you acknowledge it, believe it, feel it, experience it or not. Because love is a choice, isn't it? Love is a choice to stop or not stop. <laughs> love is a choice to do something or not do something. That's what the Samaritan was doing making a choice. He didn't put that person into a category. That Samaritan just made a choice to love. So Jesus, to illustrate it, actually tells a joke. Did you get the joke? He starts off the joke this way, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk down a road. No, I'm kidding. It sounds like the lead-up to a joke, though, doesn't it? He actually tells a story. And the thing I love about Jesus is he's a storyteller. He is this guy that tells stories that have points that make people think. And that's exactly what he's doing with the Lord. He tells this story. Now, notice that in the story, he's actually identifying people that would have been a neighbor to the lawyer, a priest and a Levite. A priest and a Levite would have been in the lawyer's, so, so to speak, neighborhood or community. Or Those are people he would identify with. Those are people he would say, these are my people, you know. Do you ever say that sometimes, you know, when you're around people? Like when I said to my wife, when we were in Glacier National Park with all these backpackers and hikers and campers, and I said to her, these are my people, right, you know. Have you ever said that, like, yeah, these are your people, right? And, uh, and really, that's, that's kind of who he would identify with. But I want you to notice something. The Samaritan, as you know already, some of you, the Samaritan is not his people. In fact, it's the opposite of his people. It's not a person he would agree with, not a person he would identify himself with, not a person he would be a friend with, not a peace person he would consider to be his neighbor because they had theological disagreements, they had religious disagreements, they had cultural political disagreements. They didn't agree on a lot of things. Samaritans and the, the Jews, Jew, Samaritans were Jewish, but they were in a different area of, and not in Jerusalem, and worshiping at the temple where the pious Jew, Jewish community was worshiping. So there was two different worshiping communities. They were at odds with one another. They didn't agree on a lot of things. Notice that Jesus actually then, though, 
the lawyer comes and says, who is my neighbor? But Jesus doesn't answer the question. But Jesus does this all the time. Tells a story and then never answers the question. But what does Jesus do? He changes the question. And the question for Jesus is not, who is my neighbor? The question for Jesus, and Jesus is saying to the lawyer, who was being a neighbor? Not the identity, but the action, the choice, the act of love, right? That, who is being a neighbor? So that's the thing. Now the story goes on and basically redefines for us in Jesus' story who our neighbor is. I'm going to introduce you to a, to a person you may not know. Some of you may know his name is B.T. Roberts. He is the founding, founder of free Methodism. Some of you know who are historians. But I love this quote from B.T. Roberts. He says, he defines neighbor this way. Anyone providence places within the reach of our kind offices is our neighbor. Whatever opinions they may hold or whatever may be the land of their birth right? It doesn't matter about whether we agree with them or not. That's the point of the parable. Or where they were born, or what their background is, or what category we put them into. Everybody's our neighbor, because that stuff is not what matters. Love is not agreement. I, I think this is important for us to acknowledge. I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'd if I only love people I agree with, that's going to be a pretty small group of people. In fact, my wife is out. <laughs> you know? Do we always agree? All right, yeah, that's what I right, just checking. All right, I'm in trouble now. All right, so, but do you understand what I'm saying, right? I think we live in a society that's forgotten this. We live in a day and an age where we think agreement is love. But love is not agreement. Love is action. Love is sacrifice. Love is doing something even with someone and for someone that I don't agree with. That's an act of love. We've confused agreement and love so much in our society. And yet this reminds us that it's not about that. How many people saw this week uh, George and Ellen? Right? This kind of went viral. The two of them a conservative and a liberal, different, we have all kinds, just think about all the assumptions you have about George Bush, and all the assumptions that you and I have about Ellen DeGeneres, think about that, right, the two categories we would put them in, right, and here they are having a good time at a football game, I'm more concerned about their fans, fandom, about their supporting the Dallas Cowboys, I'm more upset about that than anything, <laughs> I don't think you should be at a Dallas, I, I'm more, you know, I'm probably never going to talk to either one of them again because they're Dallas Cowboy, you know, <laughs> Nobody said football fans, by the way, as an identity or category, but they're out there. Go Hawks, right? <laughs> so, but then there was all this stuff like, oh, how could they be together? How could they be kind to each other? How could they be, in, be, be nice to each other, be friends? <laughs> and then it came out, both of them, and particularly Ellen said, you know, it doesn't matter whether we agree, we're supposed to be kind to everybody, right? Which is going right back to what the parable was saying, right? This idea that we're supposed to love each other and be kind to each other no matter what, regardless of whether we agree on all those other topics. So I think the other thing, the other question of love that is answered here is, 
what does love look like? So what does love look like? And let's go back to the text. What does love look like? So Samaritan. What is the Samaritan sacrifice for the man that's injured? What does the Samaritan sacrifice? Look at the text. If you've got a text with you or think about what you heard. What was sacrificed? Time. 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 <laughs> hear that one? Did, did we say that? Did you hear that one? Time. Everybody's got the same amount in a day, in a week, in a year. We don't know when our time is going to be up, but for the most part, you and I all have the same, have the same 24-hour day and how we use it, right? Time, what else? Money, right, money. Gave two days' wages to the inn to care for and make sure that this person was safe. Jackson, what were you going to say? What's another one? You got it. I believe in you, brother. How about, what's that? Reputation. Reputation. Yeah, that's one I didn't think of. Thank you. Reputation, right? What's, what's a Samaritan doing with this guy, right? What are people going to think? Like George and Ellen, what are people going to think? Right? How about his donkey? Did he have to unload the donkey to get the man on the donkey? Did he have to let go of some of his stuff and baggage so that he could put this guy on the thing? I don't know. We do know he also sacrificed this. He took, probably, he took strips of cloth. Where did he get the cloth? From his own clothes. Yeah, Jackson, you got it. His clothes. He also took some of his own oil and some of his own wine, food that he had brought with him for his journey to sustain him on the journey. <laughs> he gave up some of that too. Think about all the sacrifices the Samaritan was making to love. And that's the point. Love is sacrificial. Love sacrifices. Love stops when it needs to stop. And here's the thing. Let's put this together. You don't have to worry about your reputation. You don't, and I don't have to worry about our resources. God said that God would what? Provide for us. Take care of us. Watch over us. And the idea that we're already loved by God means that we are freed to go love other people. I don't have to get people to love me anymore because I'm already loved by God. And so I think that God's love actually frees us up to go love other people. In fact, everyone that God puts in our path. Everyone in our path is a potential person that may be in need, is a potential person that God has asked us to love. Everybody. Everywhere that we come across them. Whether at a football game or in our neighborhood or in a class or in our, in our dorm, wherever. So I'm actually going to give you an opportunity this morning to illustrate this when you come forward for communion. And you'll notice there's, like a, there's, there's a, a table here. And so on this table are ink pads. And let me clarify, they are washable ink pads. <laughs> they will not, you can wash it right off. There, there are tissues here so you can wipe off uh, the ink once you're done. We're going to roll this board out, and on it, it already says everybody always, and I'm going to ask you to create art with us today. 
And I'm going to ask you to do it. We'll bring the board out here, and I'm going to ask you just to put your own print, fingerprints, thumbprints. We're going to make a piece of art like the book cover on the book. And then what are we illustrating? We're illustrating one, two things. One, that we're already loved by God because our fingerprint means that we are uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully made. There's nobody else like you. And the fact that there's nobody else like you and that you're created means God loves you. You're loved by God. And we're also saying, I'm going to go love other people. I am now free to go love other people, and I'm going to put my mark here, and we're going to make a little bit of art together as a community of faith. So when you come forward to com for communion, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, you don't have to do it, but if you want to help us create this artwork, I'm going to, this will be out here. When you come for communion, just stop here. This will be like a station you can stop at, especially if you have to wait for this to open up. Stay, make, make a mark. Remember that you're loved by God and that you can love other people. And just do that and then go receive communion. We're just going to leave that there for you guys to participate in. So I want you to go back. Just, I just said this, but I want you to go back and think. I want you to think about who is in your path right now. Who are the people that God has put in your path? On your road, on your journey. Could be people in your family. Could be people in your neighborhood. Could be people in your dorm room or your class. Could be people in your workplace. Could be people that you meet in the marketplace or someone you see regularly. What would it look like to love them? Even if you don't agree with them. Even if they're in a category that you would say is weird or different what would it look like to love them because I think what Jesus is doing here in the parable is he's trying to under, get help the lawyer and others to what I would say flip the script you know the script that we always have running through our brains I'll give you an example uh, we were planting a church at one point, and when we planting a church, we were in a school, and we used one of the classrooms in the school for our nursery. So all the two-year-olds and under were in this classroom, so we had to go in and move stuff around and then set up the nursery, and then we'd go back in afterwards and take, take everything apart and reset the room every week. A few weeks into doing this, when we first got into the school, I, got, I received an email from the teacher in that classroom. She was not happy. And what she was most upset about was that someone had used her tissues. She had an issue with the tissue. That's what I called it, right? So I began to like, you know, prep our team and say, all right, you know, when you guys, you know, don't touch the tissues, don't touch, you know, like I'm like overly sensitive and, and, uh, and I'm like, you know, we don't want to want to upset this person and but she sent this very terse email, you know, or at least I interpreted it that way, like, you know, don't touch my tissues. I'm not, and I know exactly what happened. Some parent or some worker was in there, kid had a runny nose, they grabbed a couple tissues, which all, we all would have done. But she knew somebody had touched the tissues. And I thought, wow. First of all, you know, get a little defensive, right? And there's this part of you, in fact, when I shared it with some other people, like, well, you we ought to give her a piece of our mind, right? Who does she, we'll go, you know, replace her, you know, they, all this defensive stuff starts to come out. And this, that's the script, right? We get, a, we get a terse email, we send a defensive email back. 
then they get upset and defensive. And what is that doing to our relationship? Blowing it up. It's not helping. And so I, I said, I actually remember saying, how do we flip the script here? How, how do, let's not go down that road. What would that look like? So I said, what would it look like to show this person that we cared about her classroom? Because I know teachers care about their classroom. So what we ended up doing was we wrote an, a, a note of apology, got a nice card. I wrote up, said, you know, we apologize. We're sorry that we did this. We're, I'll, just let me know. If, I want to make sure this never happens. You know, this doesn't happen again. We want to make sure we're taking care of your classroom. And then we put together a gift bag of multi-pack of tissues, not the cheap tissues like we have here this morning, but like the good kind, you know, with the lotion in them, right? And like hand sanitizer and nice smelly bed bath and body works lotion. We made this little gift bag for her. And we put that note of apology in it and we gave it to her. And we just said, we're sorry. You want to know what happened? She was thankful grateful and never got another email never got another email from her in fact we had a much better relationship from that point on because what do we do we'd made a choice to make a sacrifice and said we care about you because really it's not about the tissue is it it's not about the tissue see there's a question that she's also asking and the question that she's asking she was asking us is do you care about me do you care about me? Do I matter to you? Do my, does my classroom matter to you? Do, does my profession matter to you? Does what I'm doing with these kids matter to you as the church? Because that's who we were. And I knew that we had to flip that script because Jesus said to do that. Let's pray together.